as a church community to this fast or with this fast. And then I'm going to segue into preaching the gospel. And so I hope it all makes sense at the end. Uh, but I have a, a purpose and, a, and an intention here today um, that I want to see God pull off and accomplish in our midst. But before we do that, can we pray again? Okay. I'm going to pray for myself. You can be praying for me. This time, it's not like Bethany, okay? <laughs> if you were here last Sunday, no. Father, we thank you for your presence, and we ask, Lord, that as we unpack the Word of God, that your Holy Spirit would communicate through me. Lord, I'm just a vessel, Lord, weak, broken, but, Lord, wanting to be used. And so, God, I just ask, Lord, that you'd use this vessel to glorify your Son. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, um, if the word or the practice or the tradition of Lent is new, new to you this morning, uh, I want to just encourage you that the whole kind of language and behavior of fasting is not new to the Scripture. Old and New Testament is smothered, it's chock full of this type of language and this type of behavior. But Lent makes it even more special as we find ourselves reflecting, excuse me, upon the sacrifice of Christ. A sacrifice made for our sins. You know, it's funny, as I was uh, preparing for this sermon, it's like Tuesday, trying to read some commentary on the season, trying to just get my head and my heart wrapped around Lent and what it's all about. Of course, you know, I, I have the, the, you know, kind of the general um, uh, information about it, but I was just wanted to get a little bit more smothered and, and full of what we're all doing these 40 days and what's going on uh, in the global church. And um, I, I found myself, I want to be totally honest, I found myself getting annoyed a little bit. I, I don't know, I've never been hip to Christian traditions. Are you that type that you're just like, what is it all about? Like for a pastor, when Easter comes around, you're like, how many times can I preach the Easter message? Like, like what are we doing? But I found myself getting really annoyed because, honestly, the practice or the discipline of Lent, it sounded a lot like me to just normal Christianity. You know, like uh, fasting and praying and thinking upon the sacrifice of Christ that was made for our sins. I was like, it's, it's just like something that should be a norm for us as Christians. Now, now hear me. I listen, I, don't throw me, don't get rid of me yet. My loving wife, as I was kind of venting my annoyance, uh, towards the tradition and the traditions in the church, my wife was like, okay, Daryl, so answer me a question. I, I'm, I'm your wife, right? And I'm like, yes, you're my wife. Yep, you're my wife. She's like, now, I know you. I see, I see you. Like, we're together a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, we're together a lot. And, and she goes on to say, you know, it's funny. I see you a lot. I'm with you a lot. I'm your wife. I, I don't really see you fasting a lot in the year. Like, well, you know, I don't, I don't see you, like, going without Facebook. I don't see you, like, unplugging from social media. I don't see you going without a meal, you know. And, like, bing, like Lent became very important to me. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and so for this, I'm grateful because it does give us a chance to unplug from the norm, to get out of the routines. And even if it is traditionally or tra a tradition, it's still very helpful, isn't it? Still very helpful. Um, the Lenten season is a time when many Christian Christians observe a period of fasting, repentance, moderation, and self-denial. In spiritual discipline, the purpose is to set aside time for reflection on Jesus Christ, His suffering, His sacrifice, His life, His death, and His resurrection. 
you know, my hopes is, although I'm pretty confident that not all of our church is kind of engaged in actually uh, fasting or putting something aside for a focused time of reflection and repentance, my hopes is that all of us, by the end of this sermon, those who maybe are not fasting during these 40 days, to throw in and give something up, to just put something aside and, and really be intentional about focusing upon what Christ has done for us, the reason that we are here today. You know, although I said this earlier, it may be the first time that you've ever heard the word fasting or even have been part of a community that is fasting or regularly fasts, it is not new language. It is not unnormal behavior for Christians to practice, to uh, uh, be disciplined in going without and fasting. It's not. All through the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see the behavior commonly practiced by the apostles and in, in, in men and women of the Old Testament. Um, take, for example, Acts chapter 13. Um, the prophets and teachers were gathered. If you're familiar with the story, you don't have to turn there. These prophets and teachers were gathered in the church of Antioch. And they were worshiping and fasting, it says the Bible, says there in Acts chapter 13. And f- out of that time, the Holy Spirit speaks to these apostles, I mean teachers and prophets. And they speak to them to set apart men like Barnabas and Paul uh, for the work that the Lord had for them. Interestingly enough, Acts 13, excuse me, is the first account of missionary sending in the New Testament. Can you imagine that? Acts 13 is actually the first account in the New Testament where missionaries are sent out to evangelize. Prior to that, missionaries were only sent out to check up on churches to see how they were doing. Quite remarkable that in a kind of focused time of prayer and worship and fasting, that these uh, people heard the voice of God, and out of that, they got direction to then um, establish or send the first missionaries into the world to preach the gospel. Many scholars highlight the importance of this missional journey by tracking Paul and Barnabas' route as it primarily seems to lead them among the Gentile people. Even so, more remarkable, because something that was viewed primarily for only the Jewish people now was being preached to the Gentiles. Now we are all here. Um, if we, I don't know if there's any Jewish men or women in the house, but we are all part of now this mission tra- uh, missionary trip as we have been engrafted into uh, the family of God. Um, which said to be remarkable about this missions trip is that it focused on bringing the gospel to the Gentile people, something that was uncommon at that time. So in this case, it's safe to say that fasting was a tool that God used to speak to these men so that they would commission Paul and Barnabas to do the work. And that work still impacts the globe today. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. You've probably asked this question. Maybe you've been asked this question. But, you know, I've always, in trying to make excuse for fasting, kind of said, well, you know, Jesus and his homies didn't fast, right? I mean, you have Matthew 9, 14, where John's uh, friends go up to Jesus and say, hey, why don't your disciples fast? Why don't they fast? And Jesus answers brilliantly, And I want to focus in, and again, this first half of the sermon is for those who are engaged, who are doing the fast with us. 
Um, Jesus answers uh, him with a word picture. He says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? I love Jesus. He's brilliant. I mean, what wedding do you go to where people are aching and fasting? I mean, it's a celebration, right? Jesus is brilliant. Um, Those words teaches us two things. One is that fasting, by and large, was associated with mourning in that day. Now, listen to me. It's important that you get a hold of this because it's going to help us in this fast to rightly think what, about why and what it is that we're fasting for. It was an expression of brokenheartedness and uh, desperation, usually over sin or some kind of encroaching danger. It was something you did when things were not going the way that you wanted them to. Come on now. The second thing that Jesus teaches is that the Messiah is coming, and that coming is like that of a bridegroom, excuse me, like a a coming of the bridegroom to the wedding feast, a wedding feast. Jesus essentially says that this is too good to mingle right now. This is too good to mingle with fasting. The bridegroom is here. The, uh, the, the, The Messiah of Israel, the bridegroom of Israel is here. Essentially, the absence of fasting in the band of the disciples was the witness of the presence of God among them. Let me say that again. The absence of fasting... Was, uh, was a witness to the band of disciples that the presence of God was with them. But you know what I love? Is Jesus doesn't leave it there. <laughs> he just doesn't stop and just, okay, end of statement. He goes on to say, but when the bridegroom is taken away, they will fast. Now, essentially, Jesus is not assuming anything. He's pretty much guaranteeing that when he leaves, the bridegroom is taken away, His people, the result of him being taken away is that they will fast. And so again, even in this storyline, we see that fasting is a normal behavior. It's normal language. And Jesus, the Messiah himself, says, listen, when I go, they will fast. But right now, it's a party. So guys... I want to just encourage those who are here who are fasting with us. Listen, you may feel absurd and a little bit foolish, like what are we doing? Listen, we should live a regular diet of fasting, of living a fasted lifestyle. I I want to encourage you to hold on tight and and, and fully engage in this 40-day season with us as a church. And let's have a great expectation that out of this fast, God is going to do remarkable things in our hearts and in the hearts of our community. So throw in. Don't sit on the sideline. Fully engage yourself. Immerse yourself. Listen, I've made a choice not to fast food this time. I know I need to unplug from social media. That thing is a demon. I don't care what you say. It sucks up 90% of my life. And so there's various things that you can do, various ways that you can fast. Don't just think it's about food. I generally go to something in my life that's consuming my life, and then I start to practice moderation and say, no, 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 this thing doesn't have a grip on me. I have control on it. Jesus, come. I'm going to give this up for a 40-day series, uh, 40-day time. But let me just say this, and this is where we're going to veer, and this is where it's going to feel a little bit awkward for some of you that are tracking with us at a fast, but I want to take a little bit of time in this Lent season and preach the gospel. Can we do that? All right. So can you bear with me, and can you turn the corner with me as we uh, go in to start preaching Christ's death in His burial and resurrection. Okay. 
You know, it would be presumptuous for me to assume uh, that everyone in this room this morning is tracking with us all, or tracking with me or Bethany throughout the weeks, um, when, we t- when we're talking about fasting or prophetic history. You know, some of that language is rarely unknown, largely because the church just keeps it under the rugs, you know? Um, but for those who are, the first half of that sermon was for you. But for those who are or have not been tracking with us and kind of been like, what, is th- what are they talking about? You know, I once was that person, <laughs> you know, especially when it came to fasting, largely because I didn't like it. And so I was always clinging to Matthew 9.14. Well, Jesus didn't do it. You know, why do I? You know, that was the general thought. Um, but luckily, Jesus got a hold of my heart. And I pray that in this next uh, part of teaching that Jesus will lay hold of hearts this morning. You know, um, I could totally understand if you're here this morning and you have found the words um, that have been spoken even this morning or in the past recent Sundays to be a little absurd and foolish. You know, the general thought is, what does this have to do with me? How will this improve my situation? You know, uh, by and by, for some of us, I'm sure a lot of the language seems so foreign and unrelatable in many ways. As now in church, the only thing that we can talk about is related, relatable topics. Things that actually, you know, culture says and things that a culture are going through. And the Bible, even itself, is getting to be in many ways foreign. A foreign language. God bless you. But let me make it clear that the Bible makes it very clear that no matter what our felt needs are this morning, the real need that we have, all of us, is for forgiveness and salvation from our sins. You know, a fulfilled life, a happy marriage, a loving friendship, a successful career, those needs pale in comparison with the eternal issue facing every human being in this room and in this world today. It makes no sense at all, friends, if we focus all of our energy on temporal attitudes while leaving the most profound eternal need unaddressed. You know, the Bible makes it clear that genuine belief in God includes more than just a mental ascent of God. For example, take James chapter 2.19. You can turn there. One verse, James says this, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you! Exclamation point. Even demons believe that. (gasps) And they tremble at fear. Let me say that. They tremble in fear and terror. Let me read that again. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Just let that sink into your minds this morning with the notion and the brass you know arrogance in our culture to say many roads lead to God you know you can take this path and this path and it all leads to the same God essentially here's James says you can believe that there's one God good for you even the demons believe that and they tremble in terror that's a frightening thing Biblical faith is more than just a profession of faith. 
is it's a change of allegiance from the mastery of sin to the lordship of Christ. Come on, this can be for believers and unbelievers. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning seeking. Or maybe you're here this morning and haven't made a real commitment to really empty your life and follow Christ and pick up your cross. You know, it would be careless but yet convenient for me to preach a gospel that says if you've ever made a profession of faith in Jesus, then you are saved. It'd be very convenient and easier to say that, honestly, this morning. Even if there's nothing in our lives to validate that claim. But I can't do it. I won't do it. I cannot. The the fundamental idea of the gospel, the smothering uh, feeling that you get, the overwhelming sense The clear picture that you get in the Scripture is that it repeatedly commands unbelievers to repent from their sins. And so I'd be lying to you, although it'd be so easy. And I know some of us get all blotchy and always talking about that three-letter word again. Ah, sin, oh, repent. What is that? Oh, please, Daryl, can't you just be happy? I am very happy. I, will, I, I am a very happy man. At the end of the sermon, I will go home happy. I will sleep happy. I will get up the next morning happy. This is not an issue of me being a happy man or not. This is an issue of my concern for you. Is that if you feel the tug of Christ on your heart, lean in, surrender your life to Jesus. Listen, in the day of depressing headlines... In uncertainty surrounding us, it seems like all the time, good news should be welcomed. And here it is. This is where we're going to get into the good news. When I use the word, or Christians use the word, gospel, we are referring to good news. The good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we might become children of God through faith alone in Christ alone. In Through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the good news. The good news is is this man right now stands before you as a sinful, broken man. I may be the pastor, but I am sinful and I am broken. And the good news is that Jesus died for my sin. And He died for this broken man. I imagine that some in this room Take my words to be foolish and, 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 and a bit absurd. But the gospel, the good news, is the power of God unto salvation. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 59 verse 2. He said that our sin has alienated us from God. It has separated us from God. Let that sink in. Let that get in your hearts and your minds today. Because it, it is really What makes the gospel so imperative and so important and so precious to us this morning, especially in this season as we're in Lent? Isaiah says, your sin, my sin, has separated us from God. But Paul, in Romans 5, 8, says that God demonstrated His love. (laughs) While we were still sinners. I just get charged off that, man. I get charged with hope. 
My sin separated me from God, but God's love reconciled me. It, it, his, 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 his selfless act of the cross, laying down His life, made me His son. It, it provided for me something that I could not provide my, for myself. Why did Christ do this and I'm going to harp on this he did this because the Bible essentially declares all men not just some men I'm not excluded we are all the Bible declares sinners oh listen you didn't come to that church this morning I'm sorry if you're uncomfortable but for those who are saved you should be rejoicing because you know what without Christ there was no hope Listen to this, Habakkuk 1.13. This is the Bible of which we all read, right? Habakkuk 13 says this about God. You, God, are too just to tolerate evil. And your theology. God is intolerant towards unrighteousness. He's intolerant to evil. That's what Habakkuk says. He says, you, God, are unable to condone wrongdoing. Are we reading our Bibles? So this, this really brings the question right into focus, right? Who or what can save us? What is our hope? What is the solution? Good works can't save us. Religion can't save us. Neither can morality. You being a good person means nothing to God. Because in light of good, God's goodness... Your goodness is filthy and ugly. Oh! Don't get nervous, guys. This is some of the best news in the world. You've got to paint the ugly so you can get to the beautiful. So it's not by good works. It's not by religion. It's not by you being a good person. How many people say that? Well, I'm just a good person. I'll get there because... You know, I pay my taxes. I treat people with compassion and fairness. Well, guys, in light of God's goodness, whoo, we got a long way to go. So it's not by these things. No amount of human goodness is as good as God. Listen, if you need some proof, a Bible that we all claim and profess to read. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, two verses. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not works so that no one can boast. Titus 3, if I'm moving too fast, sorry, just got to move with me. Or you don't have to turn there, you just listen. Titus 3, 5 through 7. He, God, saved us, not by works of righteousness, that we have done, but on the basis of His mercy. Through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What did He pour out on us? His mercy. How? Through Jesus. And so, since we have been justified by grace... We become heirs with confident expectation of eternal life. Listen, statistically, it's proven, proven that a lot of people fear death. 
What's going to happen with me? Listen, you want some eternal security? Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Today, I stand confidently, not fearful of death. My mom, stage three cancer. She's not fearful of death. Matter of fact, she's kind of excited about the possibility of dying and being with Christ. Friend, you don't have to sit there worried if you have uh, disease or sick this morning and you have bad news from your doctor. You can have eternal uh, comfort and safety knowing that your life is hidden with Christ. Romans 4, 1-5. through What then shall we say that Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh, has discovered regarding this matter? For if Abraham was declared righteous by the works of the law, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Are you hearing me this morning? Three of you. I'm so excited. I got three people. Now to the one who works, his pay is not credited due to grace, but due to obligation. But to the one who does not work, but believes in the one who declares the ungodly righteous, his faith is credited as righteousness. This is good news. In order to be accepted by God, we must be as good as God is. And before God, we stand naked, helpless, and hopeless. No amount of being a good person will get us to heaven. You understand? That not even in us patting ourselves on the back and saying, we're good people. Friends, in light of God's goodness. Ah. And this is why the good news is just that. It's good news. What Jesus did, what we're all reflecting upon, hopefully, in this season of Lent, this is the most extraordinary news that ever hit planet Earth. God is not only perfect in holiness, whose holy character we can never attain to on our own by our works of righteousness, but He is also perfect love. Did you hear that in, in Ephesians? Did you hear that in, in, in Romans where it's because of His mercy? So He's not only perfect in holiness, but He's perfect in love. And full of grace and mercy. And because of His love and grace, He has not left us without hope, nor a solution this morning. The good news of the Bible, the message of the Gospel, it's the message of the gift of God's own Son who became a man, the God-man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sin, and was raised from the grave so that we one day would rise with Him in glory. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Here's Paul, who was appointed the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 4.25, he was given over because of our transgressions and was raised for, our, for the sake of our justification. You see, friends, it's, it's not about our works. It's not about our goodness. It's about what Jesus has done for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made the one who knew no sin. Can you imagine that? God made Himself 
The man who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we would become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 Because Christ also suffered once for our sins. The just for the unjust to bring you to God by being put to death in the flesh. But being made alive in the spirit. Essentially, the summary of this message this morning is Jesus bridges the gap between sinful men and a holy God. So for those in this room who claim the name of Jesus, who serve Him as their Lord and Savior, listen, you have a lot to be grateful for this morning. There should never, ever be a time where your gratitude is taken When it seizes up, there should never, ever be a time when you lose that awe, that wonder of what Christ has done. He has spared your life from the judgment of God. Friends, that is remarkable. There should never be a time once the music starts to glorify God that your hands aren't lifted, that your mouth isn't moving, that your legs aren't dancing. Why? Because you've been spared this morning from the wrath of God's judgment because of what Christ has done. The only appropriate response is to rejoice. I don't care how bad the music is, man. I've made a commitment as a believer To give my all in worship because I have so much to be grateful for. So much to be grateful for this morning. For those of you who maybe are on the outside or you're seeking or you really don't know what this thing is all about. and You're on the verge of making a decision to make Christ your Savior or just totally walking away. This is for you. Listen, friends. Surrender your life to Christ. Come on. The Bible says that one day, even though we live as that day will never come, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why not do it now? Why not surrender your life to Jesus? You know, I squandered a lot of my life running when God was trying to chase me and save me. It's not worth running, guys, this morning. I encourage you all, surrender your life to Jesus. Flee from the wrath of God's judgment. Because one day, friends, that judgment is coming. And every knee, every tongue will bow and confess to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Listen, I would, I would think that if you are, counted among those numbers of maybe people who don't believe that you're here this morning for a reason. I have hope. I have absolute faith and assurance that there's some reason that you're here this morning. And I think it's to hear the good news. It's to hear Jesus preached as the one who bridges the gap between a holy God and sinful people. Will you bow your heads with me?